edition of the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Dr. Denise McDermott. Denise has been in private practice in Southern California since 2001. She completed her adult psychiatry residency at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia and a child psychiatry residency at UCLA. As a medical doctor with board certifications in both adult and child psychiatry, she treats children, adolescents and adults. Her goal is to empower you, your child and your family to live the best life possible. Her approach is to encourage people to believe in wellness, not illness and to lead a balanced, healthy lifestyle. Dr. Denise utilizes a multidisciplinary approach to medicine, where she integrates her Western medicine psychiatric training using the biopsychosocial framework coupled with a spirit-mind-body approach for mental health treatment of the whole person. In the summer of 2016, she started her podcast, The Dr. Denise Show, and she released her ebook Mental Health and How to Thrive in the fall of that year. So welcome to the show, Denise. Oh, thank you so much, James, for having me on. It's so nice to meet you. It's my pleasure. So before we delve into the, today's episode, can you talk to us a little bit about how you got involved in your vocation and how you got come about to... Um, what I wanted to talk about today was you, uh, you say in your ebook, um, our thoughts, feelings, and actions coupled with our DNA determine our sense of happiness and well-being. So how that's come about? Very good. So, well, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm from Schaumburg, Illinois. And James, I actually think, I don't know how it is for you on your journey, but sometimes when we look back, we can sort of see all the steps that got us to exactly where we're at. And so when I was a little girl and growing up, I always, all my friends always called me, they asked me for professional advice. And so I sort of naturally had this. And in the States, I grew up in the Midwest, there was this columnist named Ann Landers, who everyone would kind of say, dear Anne, I'm having this problem. And so my mom and dad used to kind of kid around with me, like we have like a little Ann Landers in the house. <laughs> and so um, I was naturally someone who people sought out, even when I was young. But then I had the coolest, coolest summer jobs. I was a lifeguard. And I coached swim team, I taught mom and infant swim. And so a lot of times, the little kids that were like two to three years old, I would always get matched up with the children who had had like near drowning issues or something where they were afraid and crying. They would line up all the little kids and all the lifeguards and they'd be like, oh, here's the one for Denise. (laughs) (laughs) And so then, like even I had an adult one time that was afraid to go off the high dive. So you are not going to believe this. I I was in a 16 feet deep pool and I had to like go back far enough so I wouldn't have a 40 year old land on me. I was like, you can do it. You can do it. So I worked with a lot of people who had fears and concerns from a very young age. And then I always knew in my heart, I wanted to go to medical school. 
However, I didn't know when I was young I was going to do psychiatry or psychology because I really loved surgery. I loved emergency medicine. And what happened, James, when you go through med school, your third year, you have all these rotations that you do. So what happened is when I was like on pediatrics, a little girl would have a stomach ache. I would go in to see what was going on. And then she would tell me I tried to kill myself. And so every rotation kind of lined up that way. Internal medicine, this man had lost 40 pounds. They had done all the lab work. No one knew why. I went in there. He and I had an amazing talk, and he told me he was drinking too much alcohol. Okay. And then I believe um, for all of us, we have life traumas or family of origin, things that happen. And one of the things that I think really makes me the person I am today from a place of non-shaming and compassion is that my own father was my biggest hero in the sense that he was able to get sober when I was 11 years old. And so I think all of these different events shape who we are and kind of guide us on a path. And I have to admit, because I'm sure we're going to talk about stigma and shame, when I picked going into psychiatry in med school, many of my classmates were like, Denise, why are you doing that? You know, you've got an A on surgery, you're good in the ER. And so I have to admit, I had to really just stay true to what my own inner voice was telling Mm -hmm. me which was you are a really loving psychiatry. You love the way people think. You really connect with other people's minds. And so, you know, at that very young age, people almost thought I was selling out, right? Like it was a lesser than profession. And so it's really interesting because these days we're all talking about mindfulness, the power of thinking, neuroscience, you know, the the bridge between science and spirituality. And so I feel very, very fortunate um, every day I get so excited. I can't even tell you. I'm, in fact, I actually think I'm more excited now than ever <laughs> to do what I do. And I love meeting people like you. In fact, I was reading about you last night and I was, I say little prayers before I meet people and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm meeting an athlete. I'm meeting someone with such a strong mind. And I, it's just such an honor to even to just be here on your show today. Well, I'm probably quite humble in that in that retrospect because I think as an athlete, you um, would segment your kind of lifestyle into probably blocks and in terms of like Olympic cycles. So once it's gone, you kind of move on to the next phase. So I think with me, tra- well, transferring over to what I do now, it's probably a block in in my life. It's like well it's not, I won't say not important, but it's not as significant as what I'm doing now, as in helping more people. Whereas as an athlete, yes, you could be a role model, uh, inspire people to do things, but on the actual surface, like touching the surface, you're not really doing anything to help anybody. You're just probably somebody to aspire to to some extent i think athletes are put on a pedestal sometimes probably not warranted because it's like well this person's my role model role model because they do sports yeah but what about you like you said earlier in the show yours was your father well in theory shouldn't it be your parent or somebody of a family member who's probably 
it's more you can relate more to and in theory you're more likely to engage with them on a day-to-day basis whereas it's probably maybe a small occurrence that may happen that you meet your idol as an athlete but more than likely that will never happen fair enough (laughs) i think what i really meant to say is i am always impressed with the power of the human mind and i did play sports i could have played um college soccer i played goalie Um, which is so ironic because I'm talking to someone in England. (laughs) So I played um, soccer and I, you know, I was female and in the Midwest growing up, soccer was really big and it was a time right at that cusp when girls, it was really respected to play sports. And so I was very fortunate that I was able to do my academics and then I played soccer all year round. I played goalie. I know what it's like to kind of go on one-on-ones and take people down and have my fullbacks, you know, really, really work for me. And I made the decision not to play in college because I knew I wanted to go to medical school. And with the way my mind is, I'm the type of person that goes full throttle at whatever I do. And so I was concerned because I'm sure you know with the sports you play, <laughs> Um, you know, there were times when I would dive and I've gotten kicked in the face and I thought I just didn't think I wanted to get a head injury, especially since I wanted to go into medical school. And I thought at the time I wasn't aspiring. It wasn't quite when like the, the Olympic athletes of the girls soccer these days. And I just knew I wanted to be a physician. So I really do. I have to say something for everyone that are athletes listening to the show. I, the, the, what we give our children when they do play a sport and they have sportsmanship, discipline, they can find out like what are the limits of the human mind, meaning sometimes you think you're tired and you can like get a whole nother game out of yourself or you can go and like take it to the next level physically. But I'm very impressed with how much our mind combined with our body, what we can accomplish as human beings. And so I think it's fantastic that you've taken, and I can't wait to interview you on my show, Um, to see how you're using your gifts, your athleticism to be a role model for others. To me, the the character of who we are as individuals, who we are soul to soul, who are we like to our neighbors? Who are we to our people on the street just smiling? You know, consistent character to me is really, really important. And also being vulnerable. When we're vulnerable and we can admit our flaws, and work on them, and we keep kind of almost doing our own personal best, that's the stuff to me that's like what makes an everyday hero. I think, I think that's very true. It's, it's I think, I think before we go, I would kind of go on that point that you say you're smiling in the everyday sense. I would think my, my family and I, I don't know what it is. Uh, we've kind of got one of those faces that people, it, it seems that we're very approachable because it'll be, I think when I was younger, I'd say to my mom and my grandmother, why is this random person coming up to speak to you? And then it, it happens to me, uh, probably my, when I first saw it, it was probably like a teen, teenager and then more as an adult life, just random people coming up to speak to you. I don't, I don't people speak, people say to me, why are you speaking to them? But it's like, well as long as I've got nowhere to be or I'm not in a rush, it might, it might be that that might be that one person they've spoken to all day. So it's from that sense of I can brighten up their day or it's, it's a different conversation than you might have in the, in the norm. So it's, it's, it could, 
probably add some value to your own day. So it's like, I, I, I quite enjoy it. It's like, well, you learn something new about somebody else. Absolutely. Right. Every moment counts. You never know that smile or that person, or you might say something to a person and you don't even realize that you made their day. You know, you took interest in them and then they were having a tough day. So I think it's very important for all of us to remember that every moment matters right in the now and who we are and how we speak, think and act. And you, you mentioned that right at the beginning. <laughs> But how, how how can the DNA, your actual DNA, influence how you act and kind of um, interact with the, the wider world? Oh, well, that's actually... Um, okay, so your actual DNA. So a couple things. Number one, I am a Western medicine-trained adult and child psychiatrist in America, and I really take the approach with my patients and clients of I do the logical assessment, diagnoses, and look at someone's depressed, sad, anxious. Because I work with children, I do a lot of early intervention with ADHD. So when I say that comment, I mean that we have our genetic template, mm -hmm. right? We all have our DNA. However, when we interact with our environment, which is living and being, right? So our choices that we make of who we who we hang out with, who we talk with, what profession, what food we put in our mouth, how much sleep, how much exercise. As human beings, we're infinitely powerful. And so our environmental choices that we make, the way we think, the way we change our thinking, and we can talk about that in a minute if you're having a sad day, if you want to do some examples. But those, everything matters. It's a holistic way of health and well-being. And my understanding of the universe, which I'm not asking, everyone has their own belief system. I do have faith in a higher power. People can call it creator. They can call it God. They can call it source. They can call it energy. I value people who are agnostic, uh, people who are Christian, Jewish, Muslim, you name it. But there's something bigger than ourselves. So we have our human brain. And then when I talk about the mind, I really think about it as energy. Our energy field that we have as individuals. And then if you think of it radiating out, we have energy transfer when we have different thoughts with people. There's times when maybe you have thought about someone, then all of a sudden they call you. There's premonitions. I think a lot of times the really successful athletes they're so in the zone if you're practicing mindfulness and now, you almost can pre-predict what the next move the player is going to do if you're in that zone. So there's an energy transfer. And so when I said that comment in my ebook, Mental Health and How to Thrive, which is on Amazon and on my site, um, I really was trying to make it a very tangible way of remembering that we're very powerful and that our thoughts, our actions, and the way we speak, coupled with our genetic makeup, mm -hmm. really, really can transform who we are. And I also think, um, do you want? Do we want to say anything before I say anything else? Um, I can't think. Of, I can't think of anything off the top of my head at the moment. Okay, so I want to just give a real tangible example. I think it's very important, and I can't wait to interview you, and maybe you'll just tell me a little bit about your own experience. Um, when someone comes to see me, there's still a lot of shame, right? 
we're getting better. You know, I live in California now. I grew up in the Chicago area. So in Chicago, I know my, my grandpa was like, oh, you're going to California. That's where all the nuts are, which I couldn't even believe he would say that. <laughs> that is in California, I actually look at it differently. I look at it as people are a little bit more ahead of the game and thinking about mental health. So I feel like the people that come to see me might have a little less stigma about, oh, I'm dealing with depression or, oh, I have anxiety or, oh, I got bullied and now I want to kill myself. So when people come in to see me, first of all, you and I, even though we're doing an audio interview, we're looking at each other as we're talking. You have a great smile. We're smiling while we're doing this interview. And so lots of times when people walk in the room, they're like, oh my gosh, she smiles. It's not like <laughs> some of the psychiatrists you see on the movies, right? They're like, oh, it's like scary. It's like really scary, the actors they put on those movies. So you connect with another human being, and a lot of people have shame about coming in to talk about their problems. And so I think there's value in diagnoses and Western medicine and science. However, if you were to come see me, I would think of you as James. If you had some symptoms of sadness or anxiety or ADD, we would talk about that. But I always tell people, don't define yourself based on your symptoms. And I would say for disabilities, because it's good to know because we need to say, okay, if someone has severe depression and they've done therapy, good nutrition, mindfulness, prayer, exercise, good sleep, probiotics, but now they're like, no, none of it's worked. I want to kill myself, right? So then as, as a doctor, I would have a treatment plan that's in alignment with Western medicine. However, the thing that I feel that's really unique about me is I really always tell people, you have infinite power to help heal yourself. And you actually made the choice to come see me. Because a lot of times people feel like their life is controlled by external, uh, external events. So I try to really have people engage in their own health and well-being. And then I say to people, you know, knowledge is power. People are often relieved. Oh, I have depression. This is what's going on, right? However, you don't want to land there and then now define yourself like I'm James, the depressed person, or I'm Denise, the depressed person. No, I'm Denise, and I might be going through this. And so I think the way you think and talk and act about yourself is a big part of your healing process. And you, the reason why I was thinking of you, I was kind of connecting before I met you, like what's James Soul like, reading about him. And to me, as an athlete, or let's say, you know, maybe someone on the street that doesn't know you, and right, doesn't know that you're this athlete, they might treat you a certain way because they might look at you as like you have a disability, correct? Right? And would you assume or not? Are people been, how are people these days? Um, I, w I, w I would probably say that would probably be the first indication or what, I think most of the time, if I've got uh, long trousers on, it'll be, have you got? Any, have you hurt yourself today, or something like? Had an accident, or something? Like There's right. no assumption that you've got a disability. Is you've got a limp, and what have you done? To, what What have you done to yourself to make you in that situation? Right. <clears throat> well, let me be even more clear. Do you define yourself in your mind as a disabled person, or how do you think cognitively about yourself? What's your inner world like? Um. I've, I've, I probably would never describe myself as disabled because I've, even a, from a young age, I've been in able-bodied sports. So I would, okay, I know I have an impairment, 
because there's a limb missing, but I have never let that probably define myself or let me, let it hold me back. I know there's going to be certain limitations as mm-hmm. I progress through life, but I would have to probably the, the good story relevant to this would be probably when I was in ele- elementary school was at lunchtime, I was sitting on the side watching the other kids on the monkey bars and my mom happened to see me just sitting there by myself. And I think she could see my mind working in probably cognitively, cognitively thinking, well, I don't know how old I would have been, but it's probably me trying to work out, well, how can I do this? So I'm able to do it. And then obviously I think within a couple, like a couple days, I'd have been on there. So, so, so I think it's, I've just probably had to adapt and redefine certain aspects of what people would term normal so I could do it. And I think it's probably helped me in the long run as I've got older. I'm probably more, um, I've got more empathy to, diff- to for people's circumstances as I think probably in the, definitely in the fitness industry, I'll say probably, I'll say not a majority of the, the industry will do it, but some will box people in this term. Okay, I, it, this work for X amount of people, let's give it to everybody. And it's like off the shelf. It's like, well, you can't do that. You can't treat everybody the same. It's going to, okay, it's going to work for 50% of the population. Yeah, but what about the other 50%, the other the people? Whereas, okay, that's not helping them because you're thinking, Okay, their their goal mate oh, so we'll say weight loss, for example, might might have been that. And your plan that you've set them doesn't actually help them and they stay where they are. So from a mental perspective, they've just gone down a couple of pegs now because then they're probably more un- uncomfortable with their situation. So you're thinking, well, with me, I will listen to a person be on a call, a consultation, and say, well, what 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 is your why? Uh, what what what? Why do you want to actually achieve your goal? Was it fun, be it functional? Um, be it? Do you want to be obviously the big ones? Probably long term health and things like that. As opposed to well, I know this works for majority of the clients. Let's just give it to everybody. And okay, you could do that retrospectively because the goal is the same. But you'd have to. I would say for any fitness people listening, you've got to tweak it slightly so it is still very much individualized. Okay, the the, the overall goal is probably the same, but you're, treat, you're still treating each person as an individual. And I completely agree with you. And I'm when you said that you adapted and you don't think of yourself that way, that's the part that I think is fantastic. And can you imagine if at a very young age, consistently integrated into the schools, the preschools, elementary schools, that we had classes that taught people how to think in a very positive way, think for themselves. You know, some people have asthma, some people have depression, some people are missing a limb, some people have um, ADHD and they can't sit still, right? And I think teaching our children the concept of tolerance and kindness, and then also self-love. Because the more, and I'm not talking about selfish love, I'm talking about self-love that's healthy love. Mm 
because then you don't have to define yourself when someone comes to see me as, oh, now I have major depression, my whole life's ruined, or if someone's missing a limb, oh, this. It's more like, how do we adapt, right? And what's each individual's person's thrive, right? We all go through crisis, we go through stabilization and thrive, and we go through cycles of that in our life. If we have life issues, right? And so I think that um, what's very important that I like to do on the phone when I talk to people at first, I really try to connect with them right away. Because a lot of people are super afraid to call someone like myself. And when you're doing things to motivate people with fitness or with weight loss, it is a huge mindset game, right, of self-love and changing your thinking, right? So I think the biggest first step for healing from a mental health is having that self self-love and also being adapt. You use the word being adaptive. A lot of people that have mental health issues or maybe people that are, I don't like using words that have negative vibration, but I'll just use the word prejudice or are, they maybe say not tolerant. That's a more positive way of phrasing that. Um, I think that maybe they've been living in some fear of their own they have some of their own rigidity. And so I don't want to judge them. I just think, wouldn't it be cool if people could be more self-observant? And this is why I'm very excited. In the school district where my son's growing up, they have integrated mindfulness programs. There's a program called Mind Up that Goldie Hawn has done. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. But they've integrated the concept of taking a deep breath, how am I feeling? And then they have curriculum that really honors acts of kindness, who's doing their fitness, who's recycling. And so to me, as a mother, I'm a mother of an eight-year-old, and um, as a physician, I love to see our children at a very young age being more flexible and more tolerant. And I think modern day society really, really needs that. And we can talk about this, I don't know if we have time on this show, but the whole influence of social media, texting, video games. I think we're living at a time where our children, they're just growing up with devices and screen time, and those screens are not going to go away. However, we have to give our kids even more tools. We have to front load them at the beginning. Like I told my son this morning, he wanted to buy some tokens on some shark game that he's doing. Because he's like, mommy, mommy, can you spend 20 bucks? And he's so cute. He looks at me with these brown eyes. He's like, remember, I have my allowance. And I'm like, okay, this is your budget. Then I talk to him. I'm like, oh, mommy's really mad at those people that make the video games because they're making you so addicted to buying these coins. And then I stop and I tell him, it's okay that you want the coins. He's like, mom it's not my fault they're doing it (laughs) (laughs) he's like I just want the coins and I said okay sweetheart I love you and so I do let him have some of the coins but the reason why I'm giving this example is I'm involving my son in the process of okay you can't play video games all day long you need to take a break I do timers he knows imagination plays good I've explained to him what your mind is, what energy is, what kindness is. And so as a mother, I do this every day. And then this is what I also, these concepts that we're talking about, about the way you think, the way you talk, and the way you act, that it has a ripple effect. I integrate that into my practice as a psychiatrist, and I do that in all my relationships. And then I will admit, James, I am not that doctor that just reaches for the prescription pad. I'm very, very fortunate that I knew when I finished up at UCLA, I did my child psychiatry at UCLA, 
that I was going to go, even though I had my own medical school loans that I paid for, that I didn't want to go and have someone tell me how to interact with patients. And so I had fortunately enough experience at Emory University and UCLA, and I did moonlighting, which means working extra. I worked at crisis centers, I worked in prisons, I worked in residential treatment facilities, VA hospitals, and so I was kind of ready to do private practice. If you told me right now that you have to go work for someone and you're gonna have only five to 10 minutes to say, oh, are you sad, are you happy, are you this, and throw pills at someone, I would never do it. I would, I would actually retire from medicine and you know, take on a new career. Because to me, like what you said earlier, when you meet people and 50% of the people might be like less protein, this cardio, this fitness, this probiotic, but there might be that other person that has some other food allergy or they aren't able to do the cardio or maybe they have um, chronic fatigue syndrome. And if they do too much cardio, it actually makes it worse for their physical well-being, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you do when you're working with your clients is you take a very individualized approach. And so I have the template, just like you do, of what's good for most people. However, it doesn't work. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And so to me, the art of medicine, and I'm going to say the art of being a healer, because I really view myself more as a healer. I know I, I'm very proud of Western medicine. I value science. But I really integrate that next step. There's something called the material science realm that we've been in. And I'm very much of the honoring materialism plus post-materialism, which is defined as realizing that we are more than just our physical human beings, that we have, we're energy beings. So the concept of energy medicine integrated with Western medicine, which means when I say energy medicine, I really mean the power of our thoughts, our mindfulness, our action, the habits. It's really that simple. And it's sometimes when we use certain terms, people are like, oh, no, it's getting too <laughs> metaphysical here, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm really talking about just being kind and being loving to yourself and others. When you have that kind of thought process, um, you know, there's all kinds of books, The Power of Belief. You know, you can actually do scientific experiments. Like, I have plants out on my balcony. If you were to, there's been studies done where people – talk to their plants in a kind way versus an unkind way. And then there's a difference in how they grow, right? There's all kinds of experiments. If, if we ever want to, I can write them all down and get them for you. But what I'm really meaning is for people to be more aware that we are really functioning. Humanity is really like one big humanity. And our thoughts and our actions individually affect our own cells, our own DNA. But then on a macrocosm level, it affects the world, right? And so it's very, very powerful. And so what's so cool about athletes, oh, my gosh, I would love it. I just thought of this now talking to you. Oh, my gosh. What are the dreaming, like a cool thing would be if someone like myself got all the professional athletes and we started doing really cool, like, show, like things to get people inspired, you know, where, where you're showing, but tagging it to then motivating them. Like you're having that energy of feeling inspired by what you just watched from a sports perspective. Why don't you go out there and take that energy that you're feeling of excitement 
and go do something good for someone, do a charitable event, and realize that that energy where you get in that really high vibration of excitement or coming from a place of love, that every person, whether they're a professional athlete, a doctor, that you can have your own personal best that day, right? And so if society was thinking on these terms, right, there would be so much healing for individuals and for society. But do you think that society is not going to go in that way because to a certain extent people want to get one up on somebody? You know what? I have to tell you, I don't want to turn this show into anything politics, um, but I will say, have you watched the Harry Potter books? I mean, have you read the Harry Potter books? I've read the... Or watched them at the movies? I've watched probably all the movies and probably read one or two of the books. Okay. So I have to admit, that's a great question. Are people trying to one-up? If I were in England right now watching what's going on in the USA, (laughs) I mean, that's a nervous laughter, everyone. The reason why I brought up Harry Potter is when I think people, when I work with children that have had bullies happen to them, We try not to give the bully too much power. We kind of do the don't engage. And so I asked you about Harry Potter because I talk, I asked kids that question too. And so instead of saying the bully's name or the person who's maybe abusing power or trying to one up someone or is coming from a place of greed, if you're looking at politics, but if you're looking at schoolyard behavior, right? I like to say the name we shall not name. Okay. So do I think that it's a, we're living at a time in history where there's a lot of greed, a lot of power, a lot of people that aren't resonating at that place? I believe a lot of those people just don't love themselves. Okay. My husband gets like a little bit annoyed with me because with this job, by the way, I love him that he and I are such a good balance. Cause I'm like, Oh, like that person's childhood. They just don't, they're not able to be have compassion or they don't have self love. So maybe they just need to rack up the material possessions or be in such a powerful place and look at themselves and not have the healthy self love, like only talking about themselves and saying, I, 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 I mean, you can learn a lot about a person, Right when you hear them only saying the word I, <laughs> right? If, if people aren't saying we or thinking, so, so do I think that there needs to be a huge shift? I'm hoping that this time in history where there's so much accusations of lies and power plays that the people who have maybe just been a little bit more complacent, right, are going to rise up in their own neighborhoods and do kinder things, random acts of kindness, and that people are going to vote and take things more seriously. Because I do agree, it is a time um, in history, I believe, where there's been a little bit too much the time of me. Well, but then, but then on the flip side of that, you do need, you do sometimes need that your your own. Of time. course. The healthy self-love. You need to, right? You have to, that's, it's like, where does that line go, right? So I don't know. I really value, I would say from a kind of a religious or spiritual, I really look at the highest vibration being love. I very much respect the Dalai Lama. I was very fortunate 
to travel to India last fall. I went to the Dalai Lama's Body Mind Life Conference. I was invited with a friend who was speaking and fortunate enough to meet the Oracle of Tibet. I, the Dalai Lama, they had a birthday party for him in Orange County two years ago. And the very concept, and there's many, many people of all different religious backgrounds and spiritual that resonate with this. I'm not trying to only make it that. I want to be very open-minded. But the concept of healthy self-love, love of your family, love of your community, and love of the world. I think that sometimes people, they're, they're struggling with their own battle. Maybe they can't pay their bills, so how can they help their neighbor? Or how can they be the best family member? So I think that healthy sense of self where maybe you're like, you have a good job, you have good friends. Oh, now can I give more to others? I think having a template where people realize that we're all one humanity, right? If, if, we're, if only a certain percentage of the world has the wealth and they're sort of keeping people down and not allowing people to have their own personal thrive, I think that's an issue. And, and, and I mean, it's almost like in the United States, I think capitalism's really interesting and wonderful, but I think responsible capitalism. I think if people are working hard and they've done a lot more work and maybe someone's not doing their personal best and not working hard, you know, I think hard work should be rewarded. But then if you're fortunate enough to have a certain home or a certain lifestyle, it would, it would be nice to have those instilled values of philanthropy where you're giving back, right? Well, it's not even a bad, it's not even a bad thing from, from a philanthropy standpoint because be it the United States or over here, you get a tax break. So it's not a, it's not a bad thing to even do that. No, that's true. That's true. But I actually think sometimes if you just do things and you don't even tell anyone you're doing them, you know what I mean? There's some things I've done. I don't need to tell people. You know what I mean? We don't always have to tell people. We just do them, you know, because it feels good. There's actually a lot of research that shows, you know, when we're giving or helping others from a health standpoint, when we're giving love and compassion to others, it really helps our mental health. It helps our physical health. So then I guess one could argue, oh, well, then you're getting something out of it. But, <laughs> but um, it's just a different way of thinking. I mean, can you imagine if we're raising children to measure their success based on how many acts of kindness they could do? What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think it's to some degree, that's how I was brought up. It's you treat people how you want to be treated. So you're not going to treat somebody poorly because you got, in theory, you should get, but give, get, be given what you, you, you get dished out. So it's from that sense, I don't see it as a bad thing because it probably teaches people that, that essence of respect Obviously, in the larger world, as you grow up, it's probably not always going to be like that. It's, some people are very much two-faced, but it's if you, you if you you've got the sense that you're going to respect that person, uh, help them out the best that you can. If they don't reciprocate, I think as you get older, you you know that kind of can happen. Oh well, I've do, I've do, I've given my my hand out if you don't if you don't want to take it with good faith or return it that's fair enough Mm -hmm. very good so are there any consistent mental health challenges that you see that some of your clients have or anything that you wanted to talk about because i do work with 
because I live in Manhattan Beach, California, there's a lot of professional athletes here, a lot of, you know, Olympians in the making for volleyball. And I do see people having tricky stuff when they're athletes and they might have ADHD or reading issues or people who have eating disorders because you have to look a certain way. I didn't know if there's anything on that topic since we both kind of have some interface with that that might be of interest to talk about. Um, Client-wise, it's generally, from the fitness side, it's generally like habitual changes or it'll be, uh, what's one of the calls it did in the past? He felt bad when he didn't do certain things or didn't implement things. It's like I kind of said to him, it's not all, it's probably maybe we're compounding too much on too soon and that's probably why it maybe broke down. But it's kind of teaching him, take one, just take one on board, try and make, I won't say make perfect, but try to instill that as a lifestyle choice as opposed to a change and, and go from there as opposed to less, less, this is not quite right. Let's just change everything. And mm-hmm. in most cases that won't work. That won't ever work. Some people may maybe be able to, to multi multitask and take more, more changes on than others. But in most cases it's probably start with one change. But in terms of the athlete one, um, the one I've seen on the news lately was to do with it was it was self harming, but it, from from an athlete's perspective, I didn't understand it because this was an athlete in the Winter Games, and I couldn't see because they couldn't they couldn't deal with the pressures of being an athlete. But you're thinking, well, but then I'm probably generalizing. I'm close to my family. So if I've got problems, be it, um, I, won't, I won't go as far as depressed, but I have been pretty close sometimes in life. But um, if the doubt's down, um, sad, I'll pick up the fo- I'd pick up the phone and speak to my family and say, "Well, this I'm having these issues with the sports or with the coaching staff." And just mm-hmm. to get it off my chest, or just to get it, just to get it out there. And, and people like in Facebook, they'll say to me, uh, be it from uh, now my business wise, oh, I'm struggling with depression. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 be afraid to send me like a private message. It's 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 better to get it out there than you to let it consume. Well, I consume you and let it overwhelm you because it's like mm-hmm. well. You might not, I might not be the best person to talk to about it for that, for like um, mental anxiety and things like that. But it's better to talk to somebody than letting it stir in that kind of, well, it's probably your mind is a, is a good tool, but also it can, from that perspective, it's probably a bad one because if you're always thinking bad things, you're kind of going down, down into a spiral and it can, escalate quite quickly no absolutely and so a lot of the people that I see that are very successful as athletes or professionals in my area that come to see me maybe they had a family history of depression or anxiety or OCD 
I've worked with athletes that are, you know, have ADHD, a lot of hyperactivity and impulse control, but their sport, you know, it's like, like, just like Michael Phelps, you know, he got in that pool, he used that energy. So I don't, this is why I want everyone to know, I don't think medications, medications should be used very, like very cautiously with the right professional. And so when I see people, I look at what's their nutrition, what's their thinking. I have had people that have had very severe ADHD that need the treatment, of course. And then what's happened, it's really interesting. Some people then maybe are even better at their sport because they're more focused. For some people, they're not as good at their sport. So the reason why I'm telling you this is it's very important if anyone listening has ever had, if they've got children of their own or their teens or themselves, and they're not at their top of their game academically, to make sure you do get that assessed if you're having focus issues, not thinking clearly, because you really can, you can go to your own personal thrive and so the overlap that I see a lot in here with athletes is a lot of, because I work with children, teens, and adults, kids that maybe aren't doing well in school, and, you know, they might be doing really well in their sports. Then I'm super careful. I always try if someone, if I do all the appropriate interviews, rating scales, everything, and someone does need medicine, I always make sure it doesn't affect their performance in their sport, or if someone I have because I'm in LA, I've got entertainers, you know, I, I've saw someone that's, you know, on the news and he has ADHD and he's hilarious. So it's like really good to be like impulsive and funny when you're trying to entertain people. And so the words I like to use instead of the word disorder, I like to talk with people about their neuro style. And so I will, obviously, because for insurance reasons, as a doctor, I have to honor, oh, does someone have ADHD? Does someone have major depression? And give them a form to turn into their insurance. However, I coach people that we all have our own unique neuro style, right? So even if you never see a psychiatrist or a psychologist or don't need to, um, by the way, I think everyone can benefit from it, not because you need to be diagnosed, but I think having your own coaching, it doesn't have to be a psychiatrist or a therapist. It can be someone like yourself, right? With how can we think, how can we have good behavioral habits? I think wellness and prevention would really help the world. And I just think the terms we use to define ourselves matter, right? You even said you don't think of yourself as disabled, right? You think of, oh, how do I get through this challenge, right? This is the body I was given. This is the mind I was given. How do I have my best day, right? And so when people don't overly define themselves from an illness perspective and come from more of a wellness thinking perspective, you're actually helping yourself to heal because you're not being your own worst enemy by defining yourself. And by the way, I'm not saying never say you're depressed or never say you're angry. You have to get those feelings out, but just don't stay there take the energy of that feeling and shift it into something positive. And that's where cognitive behavioral comes in, cognitive behavioral therapy comes in, dialectical behavioral, mindfulness. And I think it's really, really an exciting time in history. I feel like we're seeing sort of almost like the angriest version of, you know, of mankind <laughs> right now, but it also is an incredible opportunity for all of us who want to make a change in the world to do more, to shift things. So I think when there's crises, it's a good time, like society can take it to the next level. And I mean, is that one of the reasons, like what motivated you to do your show? Because for me personally, as a doctor, I have my private practice, 
but I've decided to have my own podcast, which is the Dr. Denise show, which I'll have you on and to reach out and meet people like yourself. I've met professional athletes, sages, um, scientists, because I think we all need to come together and do good things and motivate and inspire each other. Did something like that get you to this point with your podcast? I think mine came about because uh, obviously with the internet, it gives you a greater audience. And it was kind of to add value, add value uh, be it a call to action for people to, to take, be it something from it doesn't have to be every show, but or one show in particular that they can put into actual action and to improve their lives. So it be it, I'll interview people from athletes, uh, fitness professionals, uh, nutritionists, people within the psych- psychology field, be it yourself, um, academics. So it's kind of a broader sense. I think it's it plays on probably my life to a certain extent because I've been involved in the uh, athlete part of my life, the academics, because I did sports science at university. So I focused on sports psychology. So I, when people say, oh, I don't like mindfulness. Well, I don't either. I don't go to the extreme of the spirituality of it. I've kind of looked at it and analyzed it a little bit and say, well, what components am I more likely to utilize and use long-term? So I'll use this one, like these blocks, and you kind of use this sports, psych- sports psychology type, what I was taught, which is basically the same thing, but it's just taught in a sporting context, and right. kind of mishmash it in there, to, and that's kind of how the show came about. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. I really appreciate you having me on the show today. Is there anything else before we? Um, so last question I normally wrap up the show with is if you had to summarize this episode into one sentence for somebody to take away, what would that be? Be mindful of how your thoughts, words, and actions affect your own individual health and the health of others. I think that's a good quote to live by that one. Yeah, and I'm just smiling, and everyone listening, I'm excited. I love my the, my British friends, and um, I really love this connection today, James. And I look forward to interviewing you on my show in October. Thanks for thanks for inviting me onto your show, and well, I look forward to catching up with you in the near future. Okay, take care. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.